My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Hilder. Welcome back to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I'm glad to have you here. As I have mentioned a few times here on the show, I spent much of my youth in Coolidge, Arizona, a small rural town with not a whole lot going on in the way of art and culture. So I'm always especially fascinated by artists who come from isolated places, who turn to art, at least in part, as a way to quell the boredom they feel with their surroundings. My guest today, Hatale Wheeler, is one such creator. He grew up in Window Rock, Arizona, the capital of the Navajo Nation. And although he has just recently released his Danger Bird Records debut, Singing Into Darkness, he has spent the past few years creating as much art as he can, recording music, making lo-fi music videos, writing poetry, and even creating these evocative short films that I really like. You can check those out on his YouTube and Instagram page. Sunbaked and Sly, the new album is full of strange grooves and quixotic lyrics, and a sound that borrows equally from country, surf, indie rock, and shoegaze. I first heard Hathaway through Michael Klausman, who wrote about him for Aquarium Drunkard in 2021, and since then I have been following his moves, and I find him just such an interesting and compelling artist, somebody who's doing things completely on his own path. And I am so glad that he was able to join me for this episode of Transmissions. But before we get into it, I want to thank you for listening to the show. I really love making this program and hosting the kinds of conversations that are increasingly rare in the rushed-paced music press cycle, endless barrage of new content and releases and all that. For me, this is a space to ask questions that sometimes take a while to answer. And if you listen to the show, you know I sometimes take a while to ask questions too. Um, But it's a special time for me, and I hope that it is that for you as well. If Transmissions and all of the other independent cultural work that we do at Aquarium Drunkard means something to you, you can support us continuing to do it by pledging over on Patreon. By pledging there, you allow us to continue making this show, uh, pay contributors, and most importantly, keep those servers humming. So if you dig Aquarium Drunkard, and I hope you do, be sure to check us out on Patreon. And consider this a major thank you to all of those of you who already pledge. We really appreciate your support, and we wouldn't be able to do it without you. All right, let's get into it. Hathaway here on Aquarium Drunkard transmissions. Thanks for taking the time to join join me. I'm really excited to talk. I've been digging your record, your records, your mini records, ever since our our guy Michael Klausman wrote about you for Aquarium Drunkard. Um, I guess that was last year or maybe the year before. I don't know. It's been a minute. Yeah. Thanks. But it se- it seems like you have kept exceptionally busy. Um, where are you now? Are you in Albuquerque? 
Yeah, currently I'm in uh, Albuquerque. I just got back from uh, from home, which is Window Rock, Arizona. Yeah, that's where you were uh, at the lake without cell service. Yeah, I was. Well, I was filming some stuff with a buddy of mine yesterday, and uh, on the way back, it was kind of like uh, dusk, and uh, you know, out there there's not really a lot of service, but there's this there's this lake called Wheatfields Lake, and I just kind of stopped there at dusk and it was very very quiet and very quaint and i just kind of stood at the edge of the lake for a while and it was good wow that's fantastic i'm uh i'm glad that you got that that time uh i imagine it's very warm for you uh, where where you're at like uh, in albuquerque yeah i mean yeah it's just been generally warm i guess i haven't really i haven't been outside too much lately (laughs) yeah yeah i'm in phoenix so we're oh yeah we're in the (laughs) (laughs) that's hot we're in the thick of it i asked my my wife i was like why am i in such a weird mood lately and she's like because it's too hot here (laughs) you don't know (laughs) your body's confused um but yeah you you moved to albuquerque for school yeah, I moved for uh, UNM, University of New Mexico. Um, yeah, and that's that's still going. Previous to that, did you have you lived in Window Rock your whole life? Yeah, well, I spent about a good like three years, technically living in Farmington at a boarding school, Farmington, mm-hmm. New Mexico. But I grew up in Window Rock and Fort Defiance. So yeah. What was, uh, what was growing up there like? Uh, it was cool. It was like just riding the bus to school and stuff, you know? It's a lot yeah. of pot, potholes. <laughs> I like it though. Steam yeah. corn. Steam corn? What's yep. steam corn? It's corn that uh, you like put in a big, like a really giant ass pit. And then, or you put, you, you like, uh, you start a fire and then the coals and then uh you layer it and then you put the corn on top then you probably put water in there at some point for the steam and then yeah yeah it steams it real good so it cooks it in the husk basically yeah yeah Yeah. that sounds great i mean out here in phoenix uh i mean i grew up i grew up in a town called coolidge which was um which is right off of the reservation that where um it's the the Gila River uh mm. reservation and the it's I think the the folks there are Dene um mm-hmm. so I know like we would go to nearby towns and stuff for stuff like fry bread or to hang out with friends like I had I had, yeah. I had had native friends, but I hadn't come across ste- hadn't come across yeah. steamed corn. I guess we didn't get that out here in Arizona, so I gotta I gotta check that out. Yeah, you gotta come up and get some uh, some nashjuji soup and like some uh, a mutton sandwich or something. Yeah, stew. Yeah, yeah. Do you find yourself missing uh, home a lot there in Albuquerque, or uh, are you? keeping busy enough to not really think too much Um, about it at the moment i think both uh you know i'm not gonna like miss home and then just like be in a sucky state but i do miss home um i'm not very far though like yeah there's plenty of familiarity around for me to not really notice i guess well you mentioned being at, at boarding school is that where you started writing music yeah there's a school called navajo preparatory school and uh, i stayed i lived in the dorms um and i think one christmas my dad got me one of these uh audio box things these that you plug into your laptop i can't i can't pull mine over but i've got one too i know what i know what you're talking yeah. about it was an older one it's like uh but he got me this digital uh, the digital audio workstation and all that stuff and I took it back to my school. School, it's probably like a fresh. I think I was a freshman in high yeah. school when I started. Just kind of like covering. I tried to like cover songs and re-record songs that I liked and try to mimic, mimic stuff. 
who were some of the early inspirations in that in that time when you were just getting into stuff what kind of stuff were you covering uh i think i remember doing the first i think i tried to redo this song called black eyed susan by paul westerberg yeah um that was the first song i ever tried to like i don't know just so i could get familiar with the recording equipment um i don't really remember what uh what i used to do yeah i think i just did that I, oh i did man without ties by paul westerberg i redid that one too yeah uh, but other than that i would just like do garage band stuff first and then if it like loop shit on garage band on my phone and then if it sounded cool enough i would record it on the laptop yeah yeah you you put out, I mean, obviously, I've already alluded to it, but you put out a lot of stuff. You keep pretty uh, pretty busy, and your release schedule seems pretty consistent. And I read uh, that when you kind of got started with music, and I don't know if this was there at the school, but you wrote something like 300 songs in one year. When did, when did that happen? Uh, that was probably like my sophomore year of high school. When I got like really into it, like, I guess like I didn't get good at it. I just got familiar with a certain process that allowed me to, uh, grow into whatever creative space there was for me. And so yeah. I, I just started, yeah, I just started doing that over and over and I came up with a bunch of songs and I just figured, I mean, I didn't set out to do that. I just figured if I made a shitload of songs, some of them had to be like, all right, you know, not because I think a, a lot of them were kind of, uh, I don't want to say like shitty because when I look back on them, I'll, I'll look back on a, on a, on some songs that I thought weren't good and like, Oh, this is kind of good. Yeah. But at the time it's like, I may, I would make something and it wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't think it was very good. And I just kind of leave it. Um, but I would always try to at least do like a baseline rhythm guitar, lead guitar, drum track. Yeah. I once, I, I spoke with, um, with Alan Vega from Suicide, his, Whoa. his, his widow, not, well, I, I, I did get to speak with him once too. Thankfully, that was an amazing <laughs> experience. I talked with him about the record he made with Ben Vaughn and Alex Chilton. Oh, it's I love that one. Cubist Blues. That's yeah. a really good one. I used to listen and, to that on the bus, riding the bus up and down Albuquerque when I was smoking cigarettes all the time. And just like, I didn't really give a shit about anything. And I was, it was like, that was the soundtrack of that era. That's a good ass record for smoking cigarettes and not giving a shit about anything. Yeah. Um, but when I spoke I've told, with, I've told, uh, I've told friends that like, if you want to like go like that's the, the those songs are like songs you would go beat up an old lady to or something. <laughs> but I wouldn't ever do that though. Well, I know you wouldn't. Yeah, and 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 this is a strictly anti uh, old lady beating up podcast. So oh, yeah. you, you you're aware. Um, I love old ladies. <laughs> but I, I know, like, talking about Alan Vega with uh, Liz, his his widow, and Jared Artaud, who helps, you know, manage his estate and stuff, they, they would talk to me about how he would, he would paint all these paintings, and he basically, he'd finish a painting, and he would just kind of throw it out. He, like, didn't mm -hmm. care anymore. He's like, I'm done with it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um... And for him, it was all just a method of he wanted to create all the time. He didn't care what happened to the creations. And when I think about you coming up with 300 songs, you know, I wonder what was your, you know, it sounds like it was just instinctual. It's just what you wanted to do and you just started doing it and you didn't really think it through. But mm -hmm. for you... You know, uh, when you finish a song and you dig it and you feel good about what you've created, is your natural impulse just maybe let's just put this straight up on on the internet and get it out? You know, like yeah. what's your what's the motivation for you in wanting to release music versus just you know making it for yourself? Well, I guess uh, I release music in different. Uh there's releasing music on like instagram and youtube and then there's yeah. releasing music on like apple music and spotify 
Right. If I'll make something good, uh, I'll release it on like I'll release it on Instagram and YouTube. And if it's like whatever, it's like it's all right, I won't release it. But if it's like pretty, like if it's actually like good, st- like good shit, I'll uh, I'll I'll save it and yeah, uh, keep it around for really um, save it for maybe like a an album or something. So it's not a thing where you're normally writing like to an album uh, or with an album in mind. Or sometimes it is. What's what's the sort of yeah? I how does so. that work? I would say most of the time it's just like I'm just doing it to do it. But there's a lot this time, you know, I'd sit down and it's like I want to work towards something. Um, yeah, I do yeah. a lot of drawing and writing. And um, I guess the, the thing that wraps around everything, including music, is that I just need to work and uh, have something in mind as I'm working because I feel like uh, as long as I'm working, it's like I'm growing some kind of muscle. And so whatever it is, it's just like as long as, uh, as, long as you're creating something. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you are uh, obviously, as I've mentioned, very prolific. But when you factor in the fact that you you draw, you paint too, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I just actually brought back my easel, which I've been meaning to bring back here. So I will be doing uh, more painting. Yeah, and you make. I mean, there's there's a million. I mean, I, I'm pulled in so many directions, and I'm really glad that I get the chance to hang out and talk with you because me too, Jace. I mean, this is. I feel like this was a long. Uh, me and you like talking was a long time. Yeah, coming. It it was it was a long time coming, and it's funny because we we check in fairly regularly on you know social media or whatever, yeah. and I've been. I've been a little evangelical about sharing your stuff with people because I really dig it. Um, But part of what I like was I was so taken by the fact that you really seem to approach even things like Instagram with a sense of artfulness and a sense of um, creative expression. And it's great because you don't run your Instagram the way one might... uh, if you were, you know, the, the sort mm-hmm. of che- the cheesy artist <laughs> profile where you're like, oh, look, it's a, you know, photo uh, dump of all the fascinating yeah. people I was with this week or this month. And well, I wish here's... I could, I w- you know, I wish I could be like that. <laughs> I just don't have anybody to post. You know, I don't have any friends or anything I can post pictures with. No, but you use it almost like a, it's, it really does feel like a channel. Like you make these kind of little short films and those have all been very affecting. Um, and I get the sense, I mean, is it, is it mostly iPhone type stuff that you're like, when you're, when you're filming stuff, are you often using, uh, just an iPhone? Um, when I'm filming, I got a, uh, I have this camera, it's a Canon M50, which, Mm. uh, I think I got for Christmas too, a long time ago. Um, either, either Christmas or my birthday, but, uh, I got it as gift and I try to use that. It's got a good lens. But uh, yeah. when I was back in like high school stuff, we used to just do our iPhone, iPhone yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I love that because it, it's like you started making music videos right away too. Like a lot of artists, you know, will will make a record or songs or whatever, and then they'll try to figure out some way to do a video. But it all mm-hmm. it seems to me like you just have this sense of everything being kind of holistic like it's all kind of coming from the same place and it feels like just a very formed like a very well formed Mm. sensibility to what you do um before i ask a little bit more about that were were you always pretty creative were you creative as a kid in terms of drawing and making stuff um when did you realize like were there moments when you were a kid where you realized like that this is something that you're drawn to that's something intrinsic to your personality mm-hmm. um i guess i first the first things i started doing as a kid were um, drawing i used to draw like these stick figure wars of like two like whatever there would be like i don't know just two groups armies of like stick figures and i would draw like explosions and shit i think explosions were like the biggest thing uh <laughs> Like drawing explosions for some reason was very like, like now I'm drawing uh, like stuff like this, oh, and wow. like I feel like the, uh, 
I never thought about it, but I feel like it's like that's a result of whatever the essence of uh, kind of, you know, ex exploding outward. Um, it's, it's just very interesting and curious how that has grown into that. Yeah, but that's what I first started doing. I started drawing a lot. And then um, my dad is very uh, he's he's a big uh, influence on me in terms of where I get my music taste and everything. And uh, he would uh, he would show me like the cure and new order. And uh, he would always tell me stuff about them. And I feel like, you know, there's no way I wasn't going to try to go for it. So, yeah, yeah. The 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 Cure, New Order, Smiths, uh, that kind of sensibility really makes its way into your songs, but in such interesting ways because it's clearly not like you're just doing sort of straight new wave stuff or it's not like there's always chorus on the guitar or yeah. any of the sort of signifiers like that, but. That sensibility is in there. Um, shoegaze, the sort of sort of loungy elements of those kinds of chords, that makes its way. Well, I, I, I guess I really took off when I when I started idolizing Mac DeMarco in my early teens. And it was like, oh, like I wanted to like uh, rip off his songs so bad. Yeah, because uh, I don't know. I feel like there was just such a whole fullness. There was something there. In, about his music i didn't really start listening to him until about maybe my sophomore year of high school that was when it, the the this old dog album came out yeah but um yeah i think He's... i mean everybody just so got like caught up in his storm i feel like and that was just very amazing to to witness did you like the the he's somebody who i think uses a lot of interesting chords and a lot of um sort of diminished and uh i mean i'm i'm very bad at music theory so i can't really speak too confidently uh -huh. to the kind of chords he uses but yeah I'm, i have no idea either <laughs> it, to put it in layman's terms sort of jazzier sounding chords uh -huh. i mean were you that was part of what drew you to to his stuff uh i mean i guess so i i saw the words jazzy jazz chords a lot while i was learning and so you know probably yeah yeah, he's somebody who uh, he has shouted you out. What podcast was he on when, uh, when that was happened? on the Adam Friedland uh, talk show? Yeah, yeah, the same guy who got uh, Taylor Swift's ex boyfriend canceled or, <laughs> yeah, or whatever. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've what? been watching. A, this is a guilty pleasure of mine, but I've been watching that like whenever I'm making dinner or something. Yeah, I actually finally just sat down and watched part of an interview that he had done. I I I was familiar with his the Come Town podcast, <laughs> but but only by name. I hadn't actually listened to it. Um, uh, it's, it's it's interesting. But I went and I watched like part of the thing he did with Chris Cuomo, and I was like, well, first off, this guy's clearly kind of like a like an evil genius in terms yeah. of like getting his guests in a zone. But when you it's heard... like very uh, insect like. <laughs> yeah yeah i see what you, i see what you mean no he really i mean i was i was struck he's a remarkable performer um mac is somebody who we had on transmissions earlier this year and it was it was, it was mind-blowing he was such a great guy to talk with very very chill very um very breezy but also a very considerate guy too you know and he was like yeah. he, he really he really seemed to be thinking about everything but i saw that clip of him talking with adam and and i i felt like secondhand uh pride for you i was like this is so cool that this guy is 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 shining a light what did that feel like for you and he he was referencing a story right because he came yeah. and, and and played uh that was in window rock uh and it was a it's a town called ship rock oh ship rock it's right, about right, an right, hour right. and a half from window rock the real dramatic uh uh mountain yeah. right yeah. yeah yeah beautiful when did that happen and and what brought him out there uh well my dad uh, he works at the uh muse is this museum called the navajo nation museum and he he's like the director there and so uh one of the things that they do is they they uh 
put on concerts. And so I guess he just like threw it out there, you know, I don't know. I was like, I was a freshman or sophomore. I think, no, I was a freshman in high school. Yeah. And um, so I don't really know how it all came together, but somehow my dad got a hold of the Mac DeMarco's manager or something. And I think that they just happened to be touring through. And so they yeah. just, you know, threw it in there, but yeah, then that happened and it, then they put on the the Shiprock Chapter House, and Shiprock is like uh, ten to twenty minutes, I think, away from Farmington, where I was going to boarding school. And so, you know, that night I left the dorm, and uh, somehow I snuck over to the show, and um, I didn't even know who Mac DeMarco. I knew I knew who he was, obviously, but I wasn't. I hadn't gotten into him yet. Yeah, but, you weren't a big fan yet. Yeah. But uh, since my dad was putting on the whole thing, he was like, here's some like back backstage pass stuff. And cool. uh, I think I brought a friend of mine down because she was like really into Mac DeMarco. And so, you know, we both got to, to stand in the back and stuff. And uh, I think once I got there, like I, I remember the, the, the image of pulling up to the chapter house and like in the headlights where we were parking was like Mac to Mark and he was just standing there like in the night. Yeah. And I was, I was like, Whoa. And, uh, yeah. And he was just standing out back waiting to go on. And I was just like standing next to him. I was such like a weird, like teenager. <laughs> I had like, I had like these big old, like ugly glasses. And I was just so like, you know, awkward teenager phase. And, uh, I got to like, just chat with him. I forgot what I, I think he gave me like some carrots. And then he he told me, I asked him what the secret to writing a good song was. And um, I forgot what he told me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was cool. You, though. you, mu- you must have remembered I mean, I must it. Have, I must have like processed it somehow. But <laughs> I, yeah. I don't remember like what he exactly told me. But, uh, but yeah. And so uh, I got to talk to him. So, you know. I never thought he would remember me because he was just kind of like the whole world was, uh, I felt the whole world was behind him and he just kind of, there was no way he would remember some random res kid. Uh, but, uh, I guess he did. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's really and when cool. He sh- yeah. And when he, sh- when he did the shout out on the, the Adam Friedman show, it was, it was kind of like, Whoa, I think I was like sitting outside and um, I was actually listening to like the podcast just because I, that's what I was list- I was just listening to that. And then he just started talking about the res and then he started talking about the show and then he's like shouted me out and I was like, oh shit. Yeah. It's kind of cool. So. That's more, yeah, that's, in- that's incredible. So you were already like at that point, you were probably, you- it sounds like you were already working on music at least tinkering around and stuff like that yeah i mean i knew that's i definitely knew i wanted to do that yeah and so that was uh it was good to take some advice from him i think about how shows like that when you're young and you are um impressionable and you're you're interested in doing a thing I, i think about how some of the shows i went to when i was really young absolutely instilled in me this understanding that like you can do it you know like people do it regular Mm -hmm. regular ish people you know it's like you go to see a show at like a big arena and the band doesn't seem like a real person you know Uh, and it seems like they're just like there all the time they live at the stadium or something exactly right they just they 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 teleport in they manifest from the air you know and then you know but then when you are at a show show a gig and it's at some small club or a bar or or whatever and you realize that like no there's even like kind of a a a way to do this as just like a a a more regular person it's a very it's a very validating and inspiring thing i imagine that it was was like that for you too i mean did you get was there acts? Were there shows happening in Window Rock? Would you have to go to Ship Rock most of the time to to see no. stuff? No, there's never. I mean, there probably is like little stuff. I think there's local like res bands, 
Yeah. There's like a lot of country bands around, but nothing like a, the Mac DeMarco thing coming through. Unless it's like the Navajo Nation Fair, which happens once every year. They'll have like uh, some either country artist or like heavy metal person or something. I don't know. Yeah. But there's never, there's not like any kind of, I don't, I wouldn't say there's any kind of like scene yet. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned though that your dad was into stuff. Was your dad into the the, the country side of things too? Yeah. Was he interested? He was kind of interested in all of it. Yeah. I think if you live on the Navajo reservation, at least it's like country, country music, good country music is uh, just kind of, you can't get away from it, you know? And so it's, it's a good um, backdrop though. I think the things out there. I feel like you play with country themes and country iconography and these sort of like Western motifs, uh, but I feel like you play with it in a very interesting way because you're not approaching it from, I mean, it sounds like country is just sort of, it's just part of the fabric of, of where you came from. And I, and I feel like for Anybody who grew up in like a rural part of uh, the country probably has some sense of what you're talking about. There is mm -hmm. just sort of a default setting on yeah. that country that country mode. But I remember being young and really thinking that country was uncool and bad, mm -hmm. you know, and that I had to define myself against it until I got just a little bit older and started to find stuff like alternative country or country mm -hmm. that had a little bit more punk edge. Mm -hmm. uh, which of course then opened me up to older, more classic stuff. Yeah. Did you find? Did you find? Did you ever have that? Was that ever a thing for you, where you were like, "This is not for me. This is this is square square music." Um, I think it, I think I liked it better. I liked other mu uh, music better, uh, other genres. But I don't think I ever like hated country music. I just kind of it was just always there to the point where it was like you could, you can't hate it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But no, I was listening to like a lot of uh, Waylon Jennings on the way over here. Uh, Waylon's one of like the true, the true greats. Um, yeah. My friend William Tyler often talks about how his drummer, his drummers would often play, what they're playing is like almost the same as like, kraut rock or something like can you know like this or, or noi like a straight driving beat like very mm -hmm. like uh very pulsating and yeah. and and strictly rhythmic like that he's one of the greats obviously but did you i mean do you find when you're playing with these like western tones or, or imagery i mean is there a part of you that is um what just what do you think about approaching that stuff? What what informs your your usage of that imagery? Is it just coming naturally to you because that's what you grew up around? Do you feel like? I feel it's just like a cool like masculinity buffed out, you know, and it's like it's just cool to wear like boots and stuff and like act cool and <laughs> like act tough. Yeah, and just listen to tough music. And uh, so that, that always just kind of I liked that, and, which um, makes yeah yeah which which makes when they when they drop like the tearjerker song in the midst you know it makes it all that much more affecting because yeah. you realize the tough guy is putting on a show <laughs> maybe you know uh, or he's yes. not as not as tough as he looks yeah. Hey, trans. Missions listeners, are you a musical artist or in a band and you're just not sure how to get started sharing your music with the world? I want to tell you about DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun, and uh, here's the important part, it makes it easy. With unlimited uploads and artists like yourself keeping 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. DistroKid has just launched a new iPhone app, which allows you to upload your tunes, earn royalties, check your streaming stats, and add lyrics, credits, and metadata. Everything you need to do to get your music out there and resonating with listeners around the world. Head over to 
distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard to get started now. Transmissions listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year's membership. That's distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard. Head over to DistroKid and get your sounds shared with your listeners. Well, so you're in the new record, Singing Into Darkness. It's fantastic, and I Thanks. was so psyched, psyched to check it out. One, was surprised at the early uh, Danger Bird singles, not on the record, right? Like, you just did those those singles um, last year as their mm-hmm. own thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I don't know. This was my first time doing stuff with, you know, a record label and all that. So I, they told me about, like, a... Uh, you want these on the album and all that and i just like i don't know like i don't know what i want uh, at this point um i and uh i guess i said no because they were just kind of sounded they sound different from the songs that are on the album yeah the album has a lot of range though too you're kind of like you're, you're in you're in you i mean it's it's great those were was that produced by joel morales joel jerome yeah Joel Jerome? Okay, yeah. I, I don't know where I got Morales from. <laughs> Yikes. Um was that where where does where's his studio? Uh, um he has a home studio in the gosh, I forgot uh, the place in LA. It's like right behind I think it's behind Silver Lake somewhere. Yeah. Okay. I I, I don't want to mess it up. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> so you- so you were out in LA recording that stuff. Yeah. So the first two singles, I spent the night at Joel's house and uh, we would just kind of wake up around like the afternoon and work, make them make those two singles. And then uh, the, the album singing into darkness, we recorded at the danger bird studios in Silver mm. Lake. How did you get hooked up, hooked up with Joel? How did you get connected with him? Uh, I think Jim Fairchild, uh, He's the one who recommended him to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Were you, I mean, previously you mostly had done stuff on your own, right? Yeah. Or, or, or with, um, I don't actually, I just realized I don't know Jacob's last name, your uh, frequent partner. Um, yeah. His name is Jacob just... Hackis. Hackis. J-A- okay. Uh, oh, gosh, I'm so bad at names. <laughs> Hackis. It's like a, yeah. Q yeah. U E S, uh, yeah. But but so you guys had worked together, and I mean, obviously, you did a ton of stuff on your own. Was connecting with Joel was that one of the first times that you had recorded, kind of in a studio proper with a producer, or 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 were you had you done some of that on the other stuff? Yeah, that was uh, doing the thing with the album and the singles with Joel was the first time I had somebody there to kind of. Uh, yeah, somebody just there to give me advice and to like guide me into a certain um, place or sound. And and were the songs had you had you set aside stuff that you thought um, was going to work for this particular record? Yeah, well, all the song, most of the songs on the Singing Into Darkness, I made during the Christmas break of one of my of my first school year at UNM, I think. I made the, I I made the demos in the in Window Rock, and then uh, for some reason they all just sounded way different from all the other stuff I was doing, and so uh, you know, I just figured if I'm gonna put these out, I'll just re re record them with Danger Bird and you know give it give them their own uh, album. What did it feel like when you started getting label interest when a label reached out? to you how did that happen um uh sam there's a guy out here named sam named sam johnson and uh somehow it got to peter walker who i guess owns danger bird i think either him or, or somebody out here um sent them sent something to peter and uh, I, I don't know i think i was on the drive i was driving near el paso with my older brother when I got the Instagram DM from somebody, it was just like sending me all these paragraphs of like 
big words and like danger bird records and i was just kind of <laughs> like looking at it it was like oh shoot um but it's very i don't know i mean i've always just thought of my music as just i think that it's just very it was just very odd but uh it's just it was very flattering you know to think that there are, are people who like uh who are like really out there but they like the music and that yeah. gave that made me i guess that made me feel good you know because it's like i'm doing something i'm i'm reaching a sense of familiarity in the sound where it kind of it's a uh, it's allowing itself to resonate with with people with far away people and not only or physically far away which is like are, are so different than i am and that that felt very uh that felt very good had you experienced stuff like that? Because you've been putting your music on Bandcamp and, and you know, kind of all the different sites and mm-hmm. often we'll drop stuff just on Instagram or, or whatever. Yeah. Had you had you had moments where people would reach out to you in the past? I'm sure you heard from people saying, hey, I, I really dig this. Yeah. I'm curious what that sense of, um, you know, so much of, you're probably in this zone right now, right? Where like the, the record's not out yet. It'll be out soon. You're done with it. You've probably mm-hmm. moved on to a lot of other stuff, and you just kind of have to wait to find yeah. out what's going to happen when it goes out and reaches people. Yeah. But when you have access to the internet the way you do as a younger artist who that's always been there, you didn't have to wait, you know, to put your music out for people to grab a hold to it. Mm-hmm. But would you would you get, you know, DMs from people saying, hey, this song means something to me, or hey, I really dig this one? And and did that help to sort of, like, instill in you the idea that maybe you were on the, the right path? Yeah, of, uh, definitely. I mean, before all the label stuff started happening, I was just, like, getting random messages from people from, like, europe or like some or like uh africa or something and people yeah. were just telling me like this is awesome and i was like i don't know it was awesome really it's just like whoa i don't know i, I don't know how to like handle handle people telling me that because <laughs> it's, it feels like it's not uh really real but uh when you when you think about it and when the thought of that of it becomes real and it's it feels just feels good you know yeah especially coming from uh, the navajo reservation where i just kind of always grew up thinking that this place i was growing up in was not very significant you know and for like uh for all this to be happening is very it makes me uh it's just very interesting the way yeah. it's happening from uh, from where it's coming from. Growing up there on the reservation, I mean, there aren't uh, immediately a ton of Navajo indie rock singers who come to mind, but were there people who you viewed sort of as like, uh, maybe outside of your dad or whatever, did, did you know other musicians growing up or know people who were making art in you know, around you? Uh, uh, no, I mean, I, I, I don't, I can't think of anybody. I mean, there probably yeah. were people, but it's just, they weren't in my, in my orbit. And so it just, it, yeah, when you, I don't know. I just grew up there and it was just very, everybody wanted to, none of us, none of the people I was with were with we we didn't have any aspirations yet you know right. i feel like maybe if you grew up outside of the res you had this like you are you already get this societal duty or whatever to or to have aspirations but i feel like me and my friends growing up we just didn't really care and uh i mean we probably had like what in mind what jobs we might do as we get older but it's not like it's not like growing up on the res at that time gave you any kind of uh hope or not hope but like uh, any kind of boost or any kind of right you know there wasn't anything there for you to build off of 
but a lot has changed since then. You know, I think uh, now people are beginning to notice that uh, where they're growing up from is a is a special place. Yeah, it's a that's it's it's a it's a weird lesson to learn. You know, sometimes I I know I remember hating where I grew up and then eventually realizing one day that there were lots of things about it that were important to me, mm-hmm. you know, but, but you're talking obviously about, you know, the, the sort of, the cultural engagement that people have with, um, native culture, people outside of it is always very, it's very interesting to me because, um, People have views of the res that aren't informed by having gone and visited the res or ever lived there. Mm-hmm. People have these sort of like um, imaginal uh, engagement with these places, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that like there is stuff like a show like Reservation Dogs where all of a sudden people are like, okay, um, this is showing me a world that I, I, didn't, I didn't know. Uh, existed and I don't even know I have some native friends who love that show I have some native friends who hate that Mm -hmm. show I know I know people who who feel both ways I really enjoyed the writing and really enjoyed the acting and all that stuff so I, I, I dig that part but but I feel like there's just that I feel like when it comes to native culture the broader pop culture world doesn't know how to engage with the native mm-hmm. experience because uh i mean i guess frankly because engaging with it causes you to have to ask a bunch of hard yeah. questions and deal with a bunch of right. uh fucked up stuff right <laughs> and so people just sort of don't do it or they imagine um that the native people are are gone, right? That they're mm-hmm. a historical sort of like people, and, yeah. and 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 so I guess I feel like I, I I'm I'm kind of dancing around it. I feel like you get into some of this stuff, you touch on some of this stuff, you you write like I feel like something like Council Delegate's Wife, right? Like to me that one just made me laugh because I could imagine the sort of small town um, bureaucracy of mm-hmm. of like knowing somebody who's a council delegate's wife or whatever, or having these people who are in this position, or even your dad, you know, booking art at the at the museum and sort of having this like, I guess I'm just wondering if, if the way people put focus on identity now and, and, and and I and I wonder if for you, how do you feel? I mean, asking the question, how do you feel being like a native artist is like, what is that? What could that even mean? What could I even be hoping mm-hmm. to get out of that? But I wonder for you if that's something that you have r- tried to wrap your head around, especially mm-hmm. being you know somebody who's coming from a place where there there aren't a ton of indie rock stars coming out of Window Rock. Mm-hmm. Um. I think well, I, I didn't start thinking about the whole thing, my like identity, until I got to uh, UNM like last yeah. year or two years ago. Because up until then, I was going to at the boarding school. It was just nothing but uh, other Navajos too, and so right. it's like we we didn't. Uh, maybe some uh, some people knew. Maybe everybody knew except for me. But I was just like growing up always around other Navajo people, and it was just. Then once I got to UNM, it was like, oh, like, oh shit, you know, like people, people come from different places so much that, like, are very, uh, like, exist existence of two different people can cause some kind of uncomfortable situations or like even hostility, and uh, yeah, that's not something I was really forced to. Uh, think about until I got here and um I guess the answer I guess the answer to your question is like I don't know yet I mean I just yeah. haven't really I haven't really um I haven't thought as much about myself as I have about the native community as a whole because I feel like I have enough problems already as as a person <laughs> to like you know 
put that whole load on of being of being native but i feel like the navajo nation uh, has a lot of and just other indigenous uh, communities uh, they all have some kind of uh, potential because i feel like we're at this point where things uh, we don't know what to do about or things aren't really happening yet besides these whole like uh, you know reservation dogs and there's this res ball that's coming out on netflix okay and so like we're at the beginning stages and so there's a lot of opportunity and it's just yeah i mean it was always bound to happen but i feel like now that it's happening it's just uh i don't know i i guess maybe part of me wonders like because i um Thanks for bearing with me as I even try to tackle no, this stuff because it's, right. it's like I mean you know how it goes it's like it's vi- nobody wants to uh, talking about race is this thing where and this has happened on the show with various other guests where it's like I, I want to have the conversation because it is uh, it's important but I often find that the way the conversation is had is really patronizing and shitty for mm. the artist Do you know what I mean because like. Yeah. Tell me how your Navajo identity informs your music. It's like, how could I, as a as a as a white dude, ever answer that question? I couldn't, right? Because one, uh, you're one, you are more than your you know racial categorization, and then two, mm-hmm. of course, that's a part of who you are. That's also, yeah. it's it's all it's just it's just so difficult, and I feel like so often for for like native artists, um there's this pressure to have to be sort of like an ambassador for your the idea of your culture and i just wonder if you as a as a songwriter as a creator if that's something that can feel constricting sometimes or mm-hmm. or maybe it doesn't at all i i'd love to hear your thoughts on that uh, i think it does but um you know i'm never i will I'll, i mean i'm always going to be uh navajo you know and yeah and um my mom is very traditional, like Navajo, uh, pract- in terms of the culture that Navajos have been practicing, you know, forever. Um, my mom is very traditional in that sense. And so I have a lot of things and I feel like uh, there's a lot of things in- instilled into my way of thinking and just my into my actions that you know will always be just there in the part of who i am and uh, i'll always be proud of, of where i come from yeah and that will always be home uh it's just this whole world outside of that is just very i feel uh antagonizing and very sneaky and i just yeah uh having to have to come out into this world you know to make a living is just uh it's just been very curious so far and so, yeah yeah I, I i guess i'd rather not really come to any conclusions because i'm always just kind of changing my idea ideas but um but yeah it's a very I don't know. I mean, I don't have any other experience to re- to uh, right to relate to or to differentiate from, and so you know, I'm just yeah. There's other people who can answer it all this way better than I can. But. <laughs> no, I know, and I I don't even mean to put it on on you. <laughs> I just part of me think like part of what what I what I what I feel like is something that I'm struck by over and over again is throughout this conversation you've like landed on a phrase like it's curious or it's interesting and to mm-hmm. me I, I love that that's where you put it right because um i think curiosity oh, I, oh, I th- oh uh, go ahead sorry but um I, one of the things i think that uh i that scares me a little bit is that there are people who use uh their identity to kind of um you know just kind of get an upper hand or just i don't know 
I mean, you as, can an, just... as an as an extension of like a brand, that sort of idea, the sort yeah. of way that we, yeah. I mean, but I'm not, you know, I don't hate anybody or I'm not hating on anybody. It's just that's something that I've always just kind of um, been weary of not becoming. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's wrong. I don't know yet. You know, I, I just, yeah. I'm just trying to make music, I guess, man. Yeah, I, no, I, I, get, I get the sense that you really, really go with your gut, right? Because, like, a, a while ago, I mean, you you just released uh, Completely Personal, which is this sprawling yeah. collection of all sorts of... So I knew that the record was coming out on Danger oh, yes. Bird, and I knew, and I knew... Like I knew that you had this your your um your your label debut um mm-hmm. and we can cut this part out of the podcast if you want <laughs> but you messaged me and you're like hey I'm thinking about just putting this other thing out too should I do it and yeah. I was like uh, you know I don't know I, yeah. maybe maybe not and then you did it and I mm-hmm. felt uh I felt so I was so excited to see mm-hmm. it because I was like. Yeah, like I was thinking like a like a record label person, right? And mm-hmm. and and you're thinking like an artist and you just did what you wanted to do. And to me that like going with your gut, it's not that your gut can't ever mislead you. It can happen. Yeah. You know, your gut yeah. turns out to be wrong. Sure. But usually even when your gut is wrong it's the kind of wrong that you can live with right versus mm-hmm. like when you don't go with your gut and you try to do things right and then that turns out bad too yeah. then you have to sit with the disappointment of also not having trusted yourself yeah. so so i wonder um you know i love that there's tons of great songs on that you sent me a song that i played on my radio show you sent me bottle and keyhole which still i don't think you've put out right beyond probably not <laughs> so you have just like this plethora of great tunes um mm-hmm. are you sitting on a bunch more material i mean do you have other records ready to go and are you yeah you know uh well i think i did that completely personal because um for i mean what you just said you know, i i know i knew i wouldn't be able to live with myself if i didn't do it um and it, you know it was just a bunch of songs and if i didn't do it they would just be locked up forever yeah uh, right because i know after this the one with danger bird that comes out uh, i'm gonna already probably be working on something totally different and there would just not be there wouldn't be any time for for all of that but yeah i do send i do have a lot of songs i probably have a, a couple albums worth of songs now um but I just send like songs to people, you know, I don't really, um, like the songs I sent to you, uh, I'll send them just friends of mine. Yeah. Yeah. I just, as long as like, you know, people are hearing them and I'm getting some kind of feedback. That's uh that's really all that matters. Yeah. I dig, I dig that. I dig that approach. And I also dig the sort of, um, sort of non-commercial element of of dropping a, how many songs are on completely personal it's like 30 something right yeah yeah about or something like that i mean mac demarco did one with like 300 songs yeah, or whatever that was so crazy <laughs> so he be he beat you in terms of length but yeah. i also thought uh <laughs> that it reminded me of a similar thing of this sort of idea of or especially coming out of like a pandemic, right? Where people had so oh, much yeah. time on their hands. It's like, I, I know people must be sitting on just massive backlogs of creative work. Yeah. And, and, and everybody feels like, um, even during the pandemic, I felt like there was too much music coming out for me to keep up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think it's just even more so. So I, I, I thought, I thought it was so cool that you just dropped that and that it was full of bangers too, that there was tons of great stuff on there. Thanks. And I, and I think uh, I really appreciate your willingness to just try things and to just to just experiment and to not feel stuck to one sound. And then to get, you know, uh, singing in the darkness, uh, it's 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 like singing in the darkness is this whole composed, uh, arranged, super well sequenced thing. So it's like it's just beautiful to have that variety of expression, and uh, I I hope you're proud of the record because it's really great, and I think people are gonna really enjoy spending time with it. 
Thanks, Jason. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about, you know, your background and, and where you're coming from. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for doing it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks so much for listening to Transmissions. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I produce, write, and host the show. Transmissions is edited by Andrew Horton. Art for the show is assembled by Dakota Brown. And our music comes from Frank Mastin, drawn from his incredible discography of gorgeous library music. If you want to find more of it, visit maston.bandcamp.com. That's M-A-S-T-O-N.bandcamp.com. Our executive producer is Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his radio program, The Aquarium Drunkard Show, on Sirius XMU Channel 35 at 7 p.m. Pacific Time each and every Wednesday. This show drops in your podcast feed in the morning. Aquarium Drunkard Show hits on Sirius XMU 7 p.m. It's a Wednesday tradition. Although I know sometimes folks listen to this podcast uh, on days other than Wednesday. It doesn't matter. But anyway, that's where you hear Justin's show. Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Visit the TalkHouse for more interviews, fascinating reads, and podcasts. Next week on Transmissions, Lincoln Barr joins me to discuss mysticism and the magic of music. I will hope you join us then. On the way out, I've got an unreleased gym from Hathaway that I can't get enough of. I hope you enjoy this one. I played it on my Dub Lab radio show on a Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard a while back. It's called Bottle and a Keyhole. And after it's done, this transmission is concluded. All right. Speak again soon. Be well in the meantime. Shifting gear under the dusk forever. <laughs>